Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, this is Mark Homer, and welcome. We have an extra special guest today. Um, I've got Stephen Lansdowne. Um, he is um, the owner or, or the founder of Hargreaves Lansdowne, um, a, a company, a service that I've used since I was 16 years old. I used to do it via post. It's um, effectively an investment brokerage where you, you buy shares and funds and things like that. Um, I've always admired his business. I, I didn't know that much about it in the early years, but then I, I read his business partner's book and, 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 and just sort of always found the service to be the best that I could have you know, or, or the best that I'd had anywhere else. I'd had IFAs, I'd, I'd used other fund platforms and sort of um, just, just got to the position where I just thought the service was better than all of the others. Um, obviously, the fees were good. And my trust levels went up. So I just wanted to learn more and more about the business. And then eventually they, they went on um, to float the business. And, and, and here Stephen is now um, at the other end. So Stephen, thank you very much for doing this podcast uh, and video. I'm, uh, I'm very appreciative and I know our listeners will be as well. Um, so Stephen, what, when, when you started all those years ago, when was it? Was it 81 you started? Yeah, 1981. I actually met Peter Hargreaves um, about 18 months before in 1979. Um, and we worked for a, a small brokerage in Bristol, which didn't work out, to be quite honest. Uh, it wasn't a very good business model, but uh, we learned a lot during that period. And uh, when it all sort of uh, fell apart, we got together, set up in his front bedroom and a muse cottage in Clifton Village and uh, set the, the wheels in motion to uh, start our own business. Just off White Ladies Road. <laughs> just off White Ladies Road, yes, not far, well, not far from White Ladies Road. It's in Clifton Village itself, actually. So, the I think the bunch of grapes was the nearest hostelry. Um, and uh, anybody who knows that neck of the woods, the Carnation Tap is just around the corner, a good cider pub. I uh, I went to university uh, in Bristol, and uh, I lived above the the Bakers on Cotton Hill, just as you come onto White Ladies okay. Road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yes, and uh, I don't think when I was there, I even realised you guys started there. But Rob and I started in his front room, um, and um, yeah, I, I can um, I can I can sort of appreciate where you were, and um, in, in to some extent. So obviously, you you were at. Um, I don't know, firm of IFAs for, for one of the, uh, you know, better sort of expression. And at some point you decided to start this business with Peter um, based on a sort of discount model, I think, um, if, if that's right in 81. What, what got you into doing that rather than sort of more the fully fledged, I don't know, financial planner IFA type um, service? Well, to be honest, the, the, the discount model came a little bit later. When we first started, when we first set up, I mean, both Peter and I, for, in qualification terms, are chartered accountants. I wouldn't say that we're standard chartered accountants, but uh, uh, that was our qualification. And when we started the business, we used to go to other accountants and solicitors and really say to them, look, you do the legal work, you do the tax work, and we'll, we'll do the investment work for your clients and we'll share the commission. That was the, how, it, how it worked back then. Um, 
and we built the business up. But what when we set up on our own, um, we started very early on um, going direct to clients um, through the through the national newspapers, the Sunday Telegraph, the Sunday Times, doing little coupons in there, choosing the unit trust. You know, if there's over 100 unit trusts, and before you decide which one to go for, ask us. And uh, we'd start sending out recommendations, and we started doing a newsletter. But uh, it wasn't really the, the discount. It was special offers, but it wasn't really a discount model at that time. Um, and in the later, um, I can't remember exact time, I think it was actually in, uh, even into the 90s, um, we found that what people were doing as we built our business and as we built our database up, um, we had more and more people coming to us, taking our advice and uh, taking the business elsewhere and to get in the discount. So we had a decision to make, you know, do we, um, how, how do we deal with this? And uh, we decided we'd beat them at their own game, effectively. Um, so we turned our model from uh, fairly quickly from uh, an upfront commission business to an annual fee business, um, annual commission at that time business, but then an annual fee business later on. And we th we were worried because we thought we we're going to lose all these three percent as it was at the time on, on investments at that point. Um, but in reality, because we put the right model together and it, it was attracted to people and we did what we said we did on the tin, which was give good information out, uh, do it at good prices and, um, and give very good service. Uh, our list grew and, and our business flourished. Um, so uh, that was how it really started off. It's because other people were stealing our our food, if you like, off the table um, that we we decided we had to uh, you know we had to we had to beat them at their own game, really. So there's a lesson in there for um, lots of businesses, really. I mean, we run a, a letting agency, which is really different to that, and it, it's far smaller. Um, but that sort of um, I don't know if you, you you may call them in in, in that industry trail commissions. Um, you know, it, it's a sort of repeat monthly um, fee that comes in almost automatically as long as you are offering a good service and people want to stay with you. Um, there's a lot of value attributed to those sorts of businesses, and certainly, I don't know, even over, especially over the last sort of 10, 15 years, I've noticed company valuations that are based on that. Uh, repeat income seem stronger than those that are, are taking a one-off chunk, um, which it, it sounds to me like you benefited from. Well, we certainly did. And and if you think about it, it's absolutely right, because um, I always call it salami tactics, you know, a slice here and a slice there, not too much. Um, and, it, and, and it all adds up. But uh, if you're given a good service, and that's the key, it is the service accounts, and you've already alluded to it um, as a client, which I'm always pleased to hear. Um, yeah. That uh, that people will keep stay loyal to you, and, and you will keep taking that income um, every year. And as your clients get better, you know, and their portfolios improve, then your fees go up as well. So the more clients you've got, the more assets you've got, the more fees you generate. And it's a very strong business model. And the one thing that we always looked forward to in the early days was getting to a point where the income that was coming in from that source, i.e., our recurring income, would cover our overheads for the next twelve months. And that was a magic day when that happened. And then we've obviously moved on a lot since then. Yeah. And what, one thing that sort of really, um, you know, I always remember, and it's still true today, and this is, you know, there are other platforms that are cheaper, um, but I wouldn't move to them uh, because I don't feel like the service is good. And the thing that always comes in my head is when I pick the phone up and I call HL, I get someone with a brain on the en other end of the phone who answers pretty quickly and i'm usually i'm not sent round in a big circle for however long 
you, you obviously had a steady stream of these people that answer the phone who actually know what they're talking about, which is pretty rare, actually. Um, yeah. Well, we took advantage of the fact that we were in a university town um, and not far from the university itself. And uh, um, in the early days, we, we, we did a lot of mail shots. You, you probably may have received a few of those over the years, but uh, it's, it's sort of changed. None, none at all, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's changed to online marketing. But uh, we, we needed people to, to put it bluntly, to stuff envelopes um in the early days so we used to recruit a lot of the um uh, people in to come and help us deal with them because uh, the quantities kept building up and up and up but also we created a helpline a help desk um and the, the 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 students came and they manned that um and of course you're talking about intelligent people here um who and it gave us a chance it was almost like a, a great recruitment policy because the good people um we gave them guaranteed work for six months and they might be go off traveling in a, in in, in in their second year or they might not have got a job straight away and looking to do something else so we filled a gap for a lot of people but it gave us a chance to view those and actually sort of attract them into the business and become part of the business going forward and a lot probably not quite so much now because obviously the company's uh well 40 years old um is that uh, we a lot of the, the the people we had alongside us came in at that stage and grew with us um and, and participated in, in the success and uh, so that was that was a real bonus for us in that sense and you know a good bit of foresight if, if we're honest that we we, we recognize that the fact like you say if you phone up somebody you want to speak to somebody that you, you can associate with that will deal with the problem don't pass it on to somebody else you know I, I hate that phrase or I'm afraid that's not my department um, or you know that's I, I don't deal with that you know we, we drilled it into people that if somebody phones Hargis Lansdowne they're dealing with Hargis Lansdowne you are Hargis Lansdowne you deal with it um and if you if you can't answer it for whatever reason and you you then say i will phone you back and you make sure you definitely phone them back so we were very tight on all of that from a very early stage and it's it's, it's been the fundamental bedrock of the um the success of the business over the years i think well it works i mean even last week i was just doing a sip transfer and it got quite convoluted because it's not simple stuff um and he had to go away and find out, but I got the email back with the questions on, answered them. You know, it was all followed through, um, which often when it gets difficult or complicated, it just drops away and you go somewhere else, I suppose. Um, yeah, so that was a big feature, I suspect, you know, using those university graduates early doors, um, maybe stuffing envelopes and, you know, they, they then sort of graduate into your business. I bet that really push you, push you forward. Can you think of a, another couple of things which really catapulted your business forward? Um, you know, those great leaps which, which, which made a big difference? Yeah, I've already obviously alluded to one with the uh, moving to the discount model. Um, that, was, that was probably the biggest leap we, we had um, in sort of like ex exponential terms. Um, but, um, yeah, forming, forming Hargis Lansdowne stockbrokers, um, and participate and, and and being proper stockbrokers as opposed to being intermediaries, um, I think was a it was a big push. It came at the right time because it was early nineties we formed it. Um, we had the um, uh, the pet market as it was then. There the ISA market, individual savings accounts, uh, uh, single company peps, privatizations, and that allowed us to to become share shops and and, and really grow our, our database, our list of potential investors, and of course our clients on the back of it. Yeah, because I was sitting in my um, room 
uh, slightly earlier than White Ladies Road, just down on Victoria Street in Bristol, um, trading on all those um, dot-com shares uh, in the 90s or the late 90s. Um, it didn't end well. Um, <laughs> in fact, I was, I was, <laughs> I was uh, I'm sure you, you could predict that. I, I think I was taking it probably a little bit too far. I, was, I think I was doing contracts for difference as well. And I, you know, in my spare time, uh, whilst I was at university. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose the thing is at that time there was a I, – I suppose you had Maggie Thatcher. She must have exploded that sector, made it right for you in some way. Um, and then Charles Schwab, TD Waterhouse, all these others started sort of coming through and everyone – and I, I suppose you guys were there. That it was, it was that sort of era, was it, or maybe a little bit before that when, when they all exploded? About the same time, I think we were competing with them. I mean – um, when we first started in business, they weren't around, um, and we focused on companies that were around us as, as, our, as our competition. To to you know, who, who do we want to get bigger and better than first, and then keep moving it forward. But we we learned off, a lot off the back of the likes of Charles Schwab and Fidelity, and, and, and when when they came on onto the scene. And I think we built our sort of vantage model, as it's uh, I don't think it's called it's called that anymore, but uh, um, it, it, was, it was it's the platform. And um, we, we developed that, and that was that's basically cash management. So basically, if you've got the control of your clients' investments, i.e., through your nominee accounts and everything else, so you as a client, as long as we give you a good service, as long as we make sure your money is secure and you're you're happy and you're confident in what we're doing, then you're going to give us the instructions to to do every transaction that you possibly can because you know you can it's going to be dealt with efficiently and it's going to be dealt with at a good price. And that's that's, and again that that good and that that was a sort of the focusing on the, on the um, the annual fee basis as well a lot more than the uh, initial commissions that we used to be on in the early days. So, I, I know this is a, a really difficult question, um, and you can't give investment advice, but sort of the next five or ten years, obviously, it's sort of long term. Where where would you if I know you invest in loads of stuff? You you've got your football club and you've got loads of other sort of charitable things that one by the way (laughs) (laughs) and so what would you recommend for actually making money uh as a long-term sort of five or ten year where where would you be putting uh, or where do you put a good chunk of your money you know outside of reason yeah no i think uh, i think financial services i mean and obviously harkis dancing is one of those shares but people have still got the same and i think even more so now um because governments are so much in debt um, one for the financial crisis, but even more so with the pandemic that uh, is, is draining every resource around the world. So you've got to make your own provisions. So saving is so important. So I think the likes of uh, platforms and financial services companies uh, are in a good position to um, to service that market. Um, otherwise, it, it comes back to themes. And I'm a bit, I don't like to quote other people's sort of uh, um, uh, well, themes, but you know, thematic investment. So healthcare. Is a, is, a, is a natural one at the moment, I think. Um, technology is just changing the world, so there's, there's always that case. But obviously, there's some very expensive valuations there, so you know what, what do you go for next? Um, I've, I've, ever since I, uh, I sort of stepped down from Hargis Anderson, which was uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, um, is that uh, I've focused on sort of green investment, renewable energy, waste to, manage, waste to energy investments, and I think, again, they're probably coming of age now because they're becoming maturing. So um, solar plants, uh, hydro, hydroelectric, those type of uh, investments, they're, 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 that's where the opportunities are because the world's got to get cleaner. 
there's a strong movement there now for environmentally friendly stocks. So I think you've got, you, you know, you've got to choose your stocks carefully, but uh, there's some, uh, so those are the opportunities I would be looking at now. That's what I'm investing in, to be honest. I, you know, if I split my portfolio down, it'd be technology, healthcare, and, um, and uh, environmental. So you've got to sort of pick the right, it's a bit, I don't know, to use the example of the, the dot-com stuff in the 90s, um, you know, all the things I went into didn't work. Um, but then, you know, if you could, if you, if you bought 10 things and one of those was an Amazon or an Apple or, a, I don't know, an eBay or um, maybe a Google, you, you clearly have done incredibly well, but it's just finding the, you, you just don't know which one it is, do you? So I suppose you, you have a load and then maybe on, on one or two you do okay. Yeah, I think that my my principle is, and I, I don't want to tell you, you know, everything I've bought's been successful. It hasn't. I mean, I've made the, you know, I've made a few losses along the way, as every every investor does. But I think you've got to first of all understand what what you're buying and why you're buying it. Um, don't go along with just what the crowd is telling you. Um, uh, look at what you're doing in your in your daily life, um, or look what your kid. In my case, look what your kids and your grandkids are doing in their daily lives, because that's where. Um, and that's how, you, if you look at the, how the technology boom has come about, and the Facebooks and the, uh, and the Netflixes and, and everything else have been successful, is because we all know we use them. It's the, it's the old uh, old adage that going back in, into into the dark distant past. Now it's not that far long ago, but we know we're seeing retail really down on its uppers now, um, struggling in the you know, high street shops and so on. But in days gone by, when Body Shop, for instance, came along. You, you, you realized the body shop was a good investment because you saw everybody piling in the shop and buying stuff there. And uh, and, you, you, and your wife or your girlfriend or anything else, they, they bought a lot of stuff there. And you think, well, that's obviously got to be a place to invest. And um, it's the same with technology, what you're using, what's what's coming out. It's not necessarily the, new ga- the, the newest gadget. It's what people consistently use. And what you can, Of course, again, the model there is you keep upgrading it so people pay a little bit extra for the, the upgrade and uh, that keeps the earnings flow. Mm. absolutely <laughs> yeah and i you know how they get i don't know what these are now 12 13 1400 pounds you know if you strip back the mobile phone contract um and they're getting everyone upgrading every couple of two three years or whatever so i suppose it's incredible but then you you balance that against a valuation which is just incomprehensible so uh, yeah <laughs> Well, that's, I don't that's know. What it comes, that yeah. comes down to spread of risk, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've always, I mean, Hargis and I always specialised in in funds, unit trusts um, as a main investment. Um, I've never really changed from that, even though we, you know it's moved into shares. Well, I have changed a bit as I've done far more in private equity in recent years than I did in my early days. And I think there's, I think there's some value there, but there you are taking sort of a, a view on unquoted companies, um, and uh, again, it's that, that spread of risk. But again, it's the same sectors. It's um, there's, a, there's the odd one I have a little flutter in because I think, well, I've not been involved in anything like that. I, I, one of my investments is a car dealership, which obviously in the last couple of years, you think, well, it's been awful. And actually, this last 12 months has been an interesting journey because uh, we, we started the year with, after a very poor, uh, get the years right now, uh, 2019, um, because of supply problems and the diesel problems with uh, uh, Volkswagen and so on. Um, but the... We went and then we went into a pandemic and everything closed down. So in, in, in March, April, we were looking at significant losses. But amazingly, when the when we came out of lockdown, and particularly here in the Channel Islands and so on, it just turned around and it's and amazingly after come the end of the, the year, end of December, made a nice profit. So it's 
it's sometimes you you would look at businesses you think they they're going to get crucified, and the guys work is it's down to the management. You know they work so hard to turn it around. Um, that, that that's quite rewarding. It's fun, but it's it perhaps it's not for everybody. <laughs> it's uneven, isn't it? This this whole sort of pandemic thing. When we went into it, I think there were only a few people that could really see which industries were going to do well and which weren't. I mean, I have a friend that sells speedboats and hot tubs and he's, he's so busy and he's just all the stock's gone. And I guess because people have been staying here more rather than going on holiday elsewhere, but you just never imagine that during a, a period like now you'd imagine we'd be, you know, see a really deep recession or we've probably had two deep, a double dip already. Um, you know, and, and classical economics would tell you um, that demand will fall off a cliff. And, and you know, pe people, I imagine, you'd imagine, well, you, you would normally imagine that unemployment would have gone up a lot more. I suppose we didn't envisage the support that the government were going to give to the economy. But, um, you know, it, it's sort of been strange what has done well and what hasn't. Uh, and the way the stock market's gone up, I mean, I, I can't get my head around it. <laughs> well, that's why there's all sorts of answers. I think I've taken you to talk about the first point. Go back to my point about the, 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 the car industry. What what you what people realise, I think, is when and what COVID has done in, in many cases is uh, uh, taken the layers off of things, and you suddenly realise how much you're spending on holidays, how much you're spending on other things, and suddenly you think, well, I've got a couple of thousand pounds or whatever. It might be probably a lot more than that in some cases that I'm not going to be spending this year. So you change your car because you can do that um and you get the enjoyment out of it uh as you say you know you, you put a hot tub in the in, in in the garden um all those so it's people's changing habits change because they've got it the reason they've got it as well is because the government have put um these provisions in with the furlough payments and everything else to keep people in jobs and keep people still earning in that sense so the confidence is still there i think when the furlough payments stop that's when we're gonna have to take a very serious look at everything because what what the government would hope is that furlough payments take you there and then once they go drop off the business comes back in and takes you on there may be a lag in that situation i think one's got to be a little bit careful in in, in that marketplace but you know obviously amazon and people like that have just boomed because of the online shopping and delivery uh, again a great and that, again i think that will continue because people have got used to it but you know sort of give it two or three months time like you say I, I, who knows whether they extend furlough again, but I think it runs till April. Um, after that, uh, I suppose the top sort of four groups have been vaccinated and, um, and probably quite a, a few more people as well. Um, so they may not be looking to do that. And then I suppose the moment of truth arrives, doesn't it, as to um, where all the balls are going to land once the government start withdrawing stamp duty holiday and grants and furlough and all the rest of it. Um, I think I think that there's there's a lot of talk, and I actually probably go along with it. There's a there's a real pent up demand to do something when it when it does, when the release comes, um, whenever that may be. Um, I'm obviously hoping that's the case because I've got some uh, uh, um, safari lodges in Africa that uh, I've got a lot of time for, and I want to get out there myself. But I'm hoping that the tourism will come back because that's obviously just fallen off the edge of the cliff. Um, and that's just surviving by the fact we've built up cash in the past and we're now spending it and some governments are given some assistance along the way so yeah, that market is is one that could bounce back quite strongly um but i think it'd take a few years to get back to where it was um but it, yeah it's, it's to be honest these these times are tough but they're quite interesting 
to to try and work out where the the, the next trend might be and what uh, who's going to do well and who isn't. And and sort of all the the massive increase in the money supply, you know, all the um, I suppose in in a way they've debased the dollar and, and maybe they're debasing sterling by quantitative easing. You know, in the credit crunch, you could argue a lot of that went into propping up the you know increasing the reserves in the banks, um, and you know it had a home and it, and it didn't seem to create excess demand, but this time. Like you say, there's there's this pent up demand there that isn't satisfied, but also there's going to be probably a supply side issue when the economy reopens because factories and suppliers haven't been running at normal capacity, and there's all this extra money in the system due to QE and and all this money printing. So, what happens there? Are we are we due a load of inflation or? Or does it, or is that just too many, too many moving parts to sort of work no, out what the result? Right. I think the, the timing of it is difficult to predict, but I think the the reality is that there will be inflation at some point. Um, and we need it. We need some inflation because that's how we, our assets recover and, and um, we get ourselves out of debt. Um, so that. The, the, I think it's like a, at the moment it's always this watch this space ready as to what's what's going to happen out there. Just going back to why the stock market is doing so well, it pays it, a lot. A lot of the stocks pay a yield, or they give a return on on, on investment. Bonds are looking pretty, you know, with negative interest rates around in the place and and so on. That they're, they're pretty dismal. I've never been a bond investor myself, to be honest. I've always been an equity investor. Um, cash is not uh, not great. Um, I'm understating it here. Um, and so, you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is is equity investment. So the stock market's benefiting because of it. And and I suppose also, not you wouldn't do this when you buy in equities, but certainly in our game with with property, if you can not not you know be not take it too far, but if you can borrow a reasonable amount against the property, the the debt then erodes by the rate of inflation. Um, so. You know, it, it, inflation has the opposite effect on debt. So maybe if you you get some debt against whatever it is you're investing in, I know you you weren't a big one for that in the early days of Hargreaves, but um, you know it, it sort of I don't know that it has some benefits if you've got some inflation. Well, again, we can work two ways, can't it? It can it, it can exacerbate your profits, but it can also decimate your, <laughs> your losses if you go the wrong way. But I think that I think the point is that if you property is a good example, if you've got a a, a, a property that's hundred thousand, if you can find one these days, um, and the inflation's uh, ticking, they're ticking along, so the price is going up. You've borrowed against the price at hundred thousand, so you're given that. So when you can sell it, you can if you can sell it for hundred fifteen, you're, you're 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 ahead of the game, and that's what it's all about, really. So yeah, I mean the, the the system needs a bit of inflation at some point, and we're going to have to inflate out of. The recession that we we we're sort of holding off at the moment. At some point, I mean, it didn't really happen last time. You know, in the credit crunch, I know. Okay, maybe it got to three percent or something like that. But I think people were expecting a lot more. Inf- maybe there was asset price inflation with equities and properties and things. Like that. But you know, your basket of goods, the RPI, the CPI, it didn't it didn't soar, did it? With all the QE, but I don't know. Maybe it's different this time, and maybe they'll encourage it. Um, well, I think the internet's got a lot to do with that. I think you would get. Products are a lot cheaper these days. You can shop around and certainly keep your prices down, and that's got to be good news for consumers. Um, and 
but certainly asset um, values need you know will will benefit from inflation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So um, very here and now. Um, GameStop. I don't know if you've been watching this. The, these uh, these these sort of small investors. They're on Reddit. Um, I've just heard from Harry this morning that. Um, I think they're on silver now. Silver's gone up 10% this morning. Um, you know, and it's all about the, oh, maybe Nigel Farage would call him the little man in, you know, in the street, sort of taking on the, the, the big establishment, you know, the hedge funds and all this sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> and I also notice, um, slightly linked to that, the average age of a HL customer has dropped from 45 to 37 apparently and apparently that's because loads of them are day trading um maybe they're, they're not necessarily the same people as the GameStop thing but um what, what do you make of it all the, all this sort of GameStop um and obviously they're moving on to silver now and and various other sort of assets um did you used to have this or is this a new phenomenon <laughs> well i think you talked about it when you said you did um uh, contracts for difference i mean it's almost the same principle of having a, a flutter to try and beat the system isn't it uh, i think that, uh, uh, there's a lot of people that sort of uh, degrade or sort of talk down the, the gamestop type uh, dealing and and i can understand why but on, on the other hand why not you know if people want to play the game if people want to short i mean i hate people who short buy stock um because it just depresses the price all the time um and it's not it's not great from a for long-term investors in in, in, the, in the stock because it, it can undermine confidence uh but at the end of the day it is the market is the market it's the free market so the the the, the people who have been buying game stock and back in silver today and trying to out outdo the other guys you know good luck to them um in, in many ways um as long as they can afford to do it as long as they you know they they cover their margins and all the various other things why should you know because the, the small man the small investor like makes a makes a killing why should we anybody begrudge that that that's we want people to invest we want people to become long-term investors long-term savers really maybe would be more appropriate but i think in, in the long term these 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 fads if you like will will work their way through the system um and uh whether you like it or not probably the big hedge funds and everything else do have more money than the um investors in the um you know they're trying to beat them at their own game so my view is let them have fun while they can um but uh, i wouldn't be wanting to follow the fad it's like bitcoin i don't understand bitcoin i'd never touch it next um, question yeah uh and I've never quite understood, and I don't know if I've got this right or not, because I've never looked at it that closely, but the fact you've got a machine in the corner sort of manufacturing these things is sort of very strange to me. Um, but uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, I, and I, you know, do it, buying a stock that um, people are shorting and, trying, and, and, and outdoing them is it's because you know everybody else is going to follow on. But it's a bit like that. Um, let me tell you a story. If, uh, if you go into the bar with your mates and you're, Perhaps you're all dressed up in fancy dress or everything else, and they say, "Who's going to go in first? Who's going to go in first? And uh, and and they say, "You go, you go in, Mark, and we'll all follow you in." And of course, all what we do is we let we let you go in, <laughs> and then we all bug. Oh, sorry, and we all <laughs> clear off um, and leave you to it. And 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 some, at some point, with with one of these um, uh, stocks or investments, that certainly the, the number of people going to go in, and then everybody else is going to leave them leave them to it, and they're going to. They're going to get a, you know, have a bath with it, and um, 
that's not that's not very nice. But in reality, that's what's going to happen at some point. People are going to lose some money there, and then they're going to think twice about it. Yeah, well, I suppose it, the music stops, doesn't it? At some point, I suppose, and they're not Ponzi schemes, but it is a bit like that, isn't it? You, you know, all the people at the bottom make lots of money, and everyone makes loads of money until the money stops coming in, and then uh, it falls apart. Um, there's, a, there's always been the herd instinct in, in investment. You know, people follow the herd, um, and uh, some, you know, you can follow it too far, and, that, and that's that's what makes a market. The market will never go up forever. It won't go down forever. It will. It will. It will adjust along the way. Okay, so um, I know you're very much a, a sort of big proponent of understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, what other sort of, uh, you know, things would you live by uh, in investing and, and business that, that we could learn from? Well, I think I, I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for in a sense, but I, I'd always go back to when I very, very first started in, 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 in with HL. Um, and our, our, what our invest, investment reports consisted of, and it's still the same today. You know, you would be so much in, in cash in building society in the, in the day um, to meet those short-term expenditure. So you never caught if you know if something you've got to do a bit of repair to the house or uh, get the car repaired, or you, know, you, uh, you need a bit of cash in the short term. Always, always have a reserve. Um, second would then be when fixed interest was given a reasonable return but you still can get a decent on some of the companies on their on their bonds and so on if uh, if they're good solid companies you know to get a get, get some income that comes in that gives you a guaranteed return if you can as much as you possibly can and then you look to to to, to invest into to growth and income and and that's equity and then there's property obviously in fact going to that first bit the the, the, the fixed interest market is more property rental type marketplace now you can find a good property or a good fund with the number of properties that gives you a good yield um, and you've got that steady income that just guarantees that income coming in and you can budget accordingly so I don't I, I don't think there's anything I've never thought there's anything really clever in investments has been sensible um, when you get to the bottom end when you've, you've you've done all the solid stuff at the top that's when you can have a bit of if you like a bit of fun a bit bit more speculation but um, you know I don't like the expression of speculate to accumulate particularly I think you invest wisely you, you take you take you Way up all the options, um, and you take a calculated risk to um, that, that that's going to work for you, and then you 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 keep monitoring it. Then you know from that, would you be more of a sort of passive man or a, an active man in terms of the types? I know you probably have both, but which side would you err to? Well, I, I, to be honest, I always err to the active. I think I just believe in people working hard at it. I don't. You know, passive investment to me is that's what it is. It's passive. Um, now, where I think it does work very well is if you, you know, in, in asset allocation, it can, you know, it gives you that. But I, I, you know, if you, I, I like to get to know the fund managers, what the, what the, you know, what their, 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 their style is, what their, what their, their what hot button is, and 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 try to understand that and follow with them. Um, uh, over the years, it's worked well, um, but I think it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's 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 a place for both. But for me, I. I you used to me, I think you should buy um, Vanguard, whatever. I wouldn't just because I would find it dull and boring. And I think investment's exciting and interesting and, you know, you should spend a lot of time focused on it. I don't spend enough time on it, to be honest. So perhaps I should be passive, but I think you... suppose uh... if you find it more interesting and maybe you're in an active sort of environment, 
then because you're more interested in it and spend, therefore you're going to spend more time on it and you're probably going to end up with a better result because you're going to notice things as they come along. Maybe there's an argument for that because I know in business, if I'm investing and starting businesses in areas that I really enjoy, I'm going to spend a lot more time on it. I'm going to put a lot more into it and I'm going to be a lot more successful. So maybe there is an argument for that. Well, I think there is a, 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 probably the same with every every aspect of life if you analyze it that way. Um, but I, what I go back to is that I think if you, you know, you're, 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 they say your wealth is your health, but also your health is your wealth. It, it works the other way around as well. So you want to protect that as much as you can. You want that to grow as much as you can. Um, and therefore, you need to take, you, people should take an active interest in their investments. That's what the platform, Harvey's Anson platform, has done for, for people. It's allowed them to look at all their investments in one place, to make decisions very quickly, to, to get information on those investments, to get information on where their portfolio is at any one point in time, and to, and to monitor it and, and to look after it carefully. Um, and I think that's all part of the ingredients of a, of, of a, a good all around investment attitude if that's the right way to for people and, and it's encouraging that so it's going back to the the, the age range that the new and new clients come in at average age of 37 tells you that people are getting more interested in investment and maybe because of the uh, GameStop type of approach but i don't think it necessarily is i think it's because people are recognizing as we've been saying for years and years and years you've got to plan for your you know your, your later life and your family and everything else at the earliest possible stage and the stock market and investment markets are, are, the, are the place to do that so a um, little bit now about sort of uh, fun time and, and, and enjoyment. Um, obviously, you, you're a billionaire, so you can afford things. Um, you've got uh, a private jet, uh, which uh, is very exciting to me as a pilot. Um, uh, although I don't have a, I have a uh, rotary, a helicopter license. I, I can't fly fixed wing. Um, do you do you ever fly it, or or have you got any? Yeah, do you ever have you got a license? Do you fly it or not? No, I'm afraid not. No, I think if I'd have been lucky enough to have the, the resources to have a plane in in, in my early life, um, I might have had the inclination to do it because it's an exciting thing to do. But uh, you know, I came to this later in life, and uh, I, I use it to travel, but well, to, particularly to Africa, um, but to, to get around and, and to get to where I need to. And I enjoy sitting in the back, really, is the answer now, um, and uh, enjoy the, the, the experience. But, uh, no, I, I don't fly it. Um, I, I pop up the front every now and again and have a look at all the uh, the lights flashing. Not too many, I hope. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's been a great boom to us. Um, to be honest, when we first got uh, a private jet, we were quite embarrassed about it. We didn't feel, you know, a bit pretentious, bit of, you know, uh, but... Uh, uh, funny enough, a lot of our friends who would never be able to be in that category said, you know, you've, you've earned it, enjoy it. And uh, that's what we've done in the past. And it, it's interesting because we've, we've upgraded. Uh, we've got a, f- a fabulous plane now, which can take us a long way. Um, and although it, it won't classify a lot of it for business, it's not. It's private use. Uh, and it just makes our life so much easier. It helps us to get to see our family more often. Um, it helps us to get to the places you want to get to more often. Um, and just to enjoy our, late, our, our, our latter years in life, if you like. And and it's a Dassault Falcon uh, 8X, is that right? Correct, yeah, you remembered. Well done. <laughs> yeah, and you can yeah. go transatlantic. Do transatlantic. Do Singapore as well, so it's, it's, it's a fair range on it. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's about six over 6,000 nautical miles. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Three engines. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's quite rare for a 
a private jet, isn't it? And I suppose you'd have you've got two two pilots, um, but you'd also I suppose in between time you'd get chartered with it and sort of used elsewhere. Yeah, to be honest, I bought uh, into um, the local charter company in Bristol um, when uh, when the, the, the guys that set it up wanted to to sell out, and uh, and so it, it runs everything runs out of uh, you know it's, it's chartered out of there, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's, it's an inter- I've, again it's an interesting business. I, I mean, I've, I'm a client, but I'm also a, a shareholder, so it's interesting to see how it works. But uh, obviously, that's been a tough tough year. In although having said that, some of the private charter business has been quite lucrative because uh, COVID, you can fly by yourself and you can you, you manage to organize the trips um but we have engineering and um uh air train uh, you know uh, uh, fbo handling um at the, at the bristol airport and here in guernsey as well so it's, a, it's an interesting but it's, it's i'm glad to say it makes a small profit which helps yeah. And helicopters, are you, I mean, do you charter them? Do you have one or are you, do you stay clear of them? I don't, uh, I've used them, but usually just to pop in and out of a race course or something of that nature rather than sit in the traffic. Uh, certainly Cheltenham race course is one of those. Um, but no, um, we haven't got one. Um, don't really have any intention of getting one. It's not really, doesn't it doesn't suit our needs because if we're going to go anywhere, it's going to be a reasonable distance. I mean, a couple of people here in the Channel Islands have them and sort of jump the water and come to the airport here to take off to go somewhere else. But um, we don't need to do that. We can just drive 10 minutes and uh, we're there. And 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 other sort of toys like that? I mean, are, are you into your cars or some sort of other stuff of a, a similar ilk? No, cars and myself are not uh, not suited. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a quite an old uh, Audi A3 in the in the garage as a convertible, but for the island, it's perfect. Um, yeah, wife's got a Discovery, so we're not, we're not too flash in that that regard. Cars for me get me from A to B, and that's about it. I love watching Formula One, though. Funny enough, you know, watching all that aspect of it. I haven't got into a Formula One team yet. No, <laughs> 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 avoiding avoiding that one. Um, and uh, no, we're not into boats or anything like that. So no, really, the plane is the is the main luxury. Um, got obviously got some properties around the world that we 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 visit. Particularly, I said some you know lodges in in Africa and and that. So, and that's the other thing. That's my, that's my that, besides sport as a pastime. Um, wildlife conservation is key to me. That's probably what uh, the, like the next ten years is going to be my focus is getting the best out of that, doing the best that I can for the uh, communities and and so on in the, in the areas that uh, our lodges are and uh, protecting the the wildlife and the and the habitat. Where, whereabouts are your lodges, Stephen? Uh, Botswana, and we have a property in Mozambique. We fancy Botswana, yeah. I last I ended up in Kruger, uh, well, on the side in the reserve, and um, heard from so many people that that would be the place or Serengeti. Um, it, 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 would you say that's really sort of the, some of the best safari? Yeah, I mean, we've been to the uh, to, to the Serengeti as well. I think Botswana is, is is one of the best places for safaris. There's no doubt about it. Um, and some wonderful places there. The Arkavango Delta, which you often see on the wildlife programs, is just spectacular. Um, as is up on the Chobe River as well. We're in a, we're in one of the called the northeast corner. It's a bit it's a bit it's called Thule. Thule stands for dust, and it is in the dry season, although it's very wet at the moment. Um, but we get some great wildlife through there, and it's just a beautiful countryside. The Serengeti is more for the um, the migrations, 
um, and, and they're just a the mass of animals in one place. It's again, you get you get the, you get the selection, but it's and the countryside's st stunning. I mean, Africa's a wonderful continent. It's, it it just deserves to be better, do better. But um, yeah, I'm not sure it ever will. It seems that way. I mean, I my father spent i don't know two decades there and when i was a little boy we were in sierra leone and tanzania and various places and um he used to say it back then it just it's it's all such a shame and south africa just seems to be going one way and um I, just with all that like beauty and natural resource and all that stuff it, it's almost like the the system and the leadership it just doesn't seem to work um i just can't really get my head around it it's very difficult to understand it, really. I think it's possibly there's a there's a tribal aspect to it. So within each country, there's people fighting each other. Um, uh, you could say that's the same in the United Kingdom now, actually. Um, but uh, you know, it, 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 so, so whoever gets into power tends to um, be under attack from the others. It, there's no sort of working together to, for the for the common good. Um, I think if you ever get that right, you can. But there's, but tourism, I mean, the natural resources are there um so the value is there if you can extract it and, and get it back into the communities but uh yeah you know it's, it's strange because I, I mean Botswana is a great example to me i, I think Botswana is a fabulous place it is well pretty well run if i'm on, you know, as a country it's probably one of the best in africa um but it never quite makes the most of what it's got and that's the, that's the frustrating bit of it um probably if i was going to pick a country and say look at uh, that as a what everything should aim for was rwanda rwanda's just made incredible um uh, progress over the last 20 years certainly since the genocide oh, really. yeah. yeah since the war, yeah and uh what, yeah, what? president kagami there i mean he's a bit of an autocrat but uh, that's probably again what you need somebody that just says this is what's going to happen we used to have that in indonesia we had the autocrat there for i think about 30 years and we we lived there for, for many years and um i most people were pretty much agreed that he was a great thing. And mm -hmm. obviously we had the Asian financial crisis and they booted him out and they got this thing called democracy. And I don't think the place has ever done as well since. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not always, it's interesting, isn't it? it it's not, um, the sort of perceived wisdom isn't necessarily correct. Well, going back mm -hmm. to business, it's quite often the case. You could say the same, you know, if you go back to Harvey Zanzan particularly, you, know, you had two strong people leading it. Okay, we were two rather than one, but uh, um, you know we, we we spoke with a common common tongue as to what we wanted to do and what we wanted to achieve, and we we drove it in that way. And I think you you do need that leadership, whatever you are. And good businesses have it, and poor businesses don't. Um, as simple as that. Strong leadership. I think that's a yeah uh, a good sort of uh, place to end this, and 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 something to remember. I, I think you, you, your clarity of of sort of message that you're giving your staff and your customers is so important, um, and 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 to be consistent with it. Thank you very much for 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 this interview, Stephen. Um, I've enjoyed myself. I know our listeners and viewers will have done too. How can people learn more about you? Um, are, are you on platforms? I think you're on Twitter. Is that, is that the only place? Um, it is, it is, it is the only place. And I, I have to be honest, I don't, I don't um, tweet too often. Um, it's, it's more for me to see what's going on elsewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you, you can, you can, you can always Google me. So that's the, the, the one thing that uh, you, you can't escape these days. There's always information on you somewhere. And uh, yeah. I, I'm quite a private person, really, so I try to keep away from uh, that.
that sort of limelight. Quite right, quite right. Stephen, it's been pleasurable. Thank you very much for, for coming on this podcast. Uh, Stephen Lansdowne, uh, over and out, Mark Homer. <laughs>